you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Hey guys, welcome back to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. It's Roger. And once again, I thank you very much for tuning in. I don't need to tell you this crazy pandemic has made many of us shuffle and pivot and scramble for the next move. Whether you're a restaurant owner or a chef or an employee working the line in a kitchen and you've had to pivot and scramble, maybe you're looking for a new gig, maybe you've had to close your place and you're looking for a new gig yourself, but you really need to take your skills to the next level. Well, in this episode, very appropriately, I'm speaking with Mr. Ken Rubin, and he is the Chief Culinary Officer of the world's leading online culinary school. It's called Ruby, and we're going to talk all about their online platform to take your cooking skills to the next level, whether you're at the most basic, just starting out level, or you're a seasoned veteran who's been cooking for years and years and years, and you're just looking to advance your education and get some credentials. Ruby is recognized by the American Culinary Federation Education Foundation and Leading Chefs. So they even have courses in multiple languages. So it's a really interesting episode. I'm looking forward to having you hear it. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and we are glad you are here. These are engaging topics that help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, deliver amazing guest guest service experiences, And with me today, I'm really pleased, Mr. Ken Rubin, and he is the chief culinary officer of an online cooking school called Ruby, but he's so much more than that, and these are relevant times to talk all about, you know, the culinary industry and what you can do with certification from Ruby. So welcome to the show, Ken. Glad you're here. Thank you. It's really nice to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't we begin? I love asking this question because I'm such a passionate restaurant industry guy, and our audience is as well. And it's always fascinating to hear how, how you got inspired by this business. You know, where your early beginnings were. Did you work in a restaurant as a teenager? Did you cook? Uh, you know, were you inspired to cook at home with your family? I mean, where did it all start for you? Yeah, well, it's, um, you know, for me, it's been a lifelong passion. I started cooking and having an interest in food. When I was very, very young, uh, my parents actually got me a knife as a gift when I was six. Wow. Um, I was fascinated by food. My yeah. parents um, lived in Europe for some period of time. I was actually born in, in uh, Berlin, um, and my mom was raised on a farm. So we, we came from a family. We have a family that's very much deeply food-connected. Um, you know, as a very young person, I had just an incredible tactile interest in food. I wanted to touch food. I wanted to stir things, you know, hold things, smell things. Um, my grandparents who had a farm was always a fascinating place for me to walk around and pick vegetables and taste things that were underripe or overripe or whatever it was. Um, so I felt connected as a very young person to food, um, and started cooking just basically decided as a very, young person that food would be my path. I didn't really know what that would become, but um, as a young person, I collected cookbooks. Um, I, I catered my own bar mitzvah. So I went into a mode where I was actually looking and you'd appreciate this with what you did, but I have two older brothers. They had bar mitzvahs. I'd made a business plan for mine and said, Hey, mom and dad, like I can do this and I can save a bunch of money. So <laughs> why don't we work something out here? Um, 
and then all through um, my my high school years and college years, I spent time in in restaurants and being connected to food that way. But really got into food um, as an initial point of passion. I just I was fascinated by food. I found that the the transformative power of food, uh, both from the ingredient perspective, what you could do with something, but also the way it made people feel. The reaction we got from it um, was just amazing. Um, so for me, it's been just a real lifelong journey. So you're really talking about food as a culture, and that obviously comes from the European, you know, growing up, obviously, or, or at least being born in Berlin and your family influence and all that, because European culture is surrounded by food. You know, I would say more so than America. It's definitely coming and it's happening here in America, and there are definitely foodies that are really, really into food. But you wouldn't necessarily say that American society is pervaded by food as a culture, but you're doing a lot to change that. But it's interesting because you, you describe yourself as a food anthropologist. And, you know, for those of us who don't have a quick dictionary <laughs> at hand, anthropology is really a study of, you know, societies and cultures and food fits right into that. So you're bringing that to life with Ruby, which obviously is an online cooking school. So that's a really great backstory. I thought that was fascinating. Now, Lacona Blue, you know, that name precedes itself. It's probably the most prestigious cooking, you know, institution in the world. And I know that there's American branches now, but literally Paris is the epicenter of Le Cordon Bleu. And beyond that, you, you know, you had a top management position in that culinary school. You've also worked for uh, other organizations, World Food Federation, lots of different things, which is an amazing background in and of itself. So after graduating from college, did you continue to pursue, you know, the teaching side of things? Or did you actually cook in restaurants for quite some time as well? Did you do both? Tell us about that. Yeah, so I, I meandered around. I, um, I started cooking in kitchens when I was a teenager. I worked in um, catering operations. I worked in a summer camp. I did uh, a lot of different you know, types of jobs within kitchens all through high school, all through college. So I always had a hand in the kitchen. Um, you know, I worked fine dining, small independent restaurants, uh, a lot of catering, a lot of work also as a private chef over those years, uh, but got interested really in food and all those different levels. Um, so it was when I was um, living and working in Austin, Texas, and I was working as a as a cook there, and uh, also doing some food writing. That I had an opportunity with with Cordon Bleu to start teaching at one of the campuses in the early days. This is um, while going back seventeen years now, <laughs> um, but I uh, just really fell in love with the educational side, with working with students, with sharing my knowledge, sharing my passion, and. Um, I kind of got the bug for teaching and for using uh, my interest in food outside of just primary food production. Um, but, you know, in addition to being a working cook, I was, uh, I spent time as a cheesemaker uh, on a, a raw milk dairy. I spent time as a food critic and a food writer doing, you know, restaurant reviews and talking about the food scene that was in Austin, Texas. I've done lots of R&D work and product development type work as well. Uh, but for me, education was kind of the next space. So I got into what, you know, now we call brick and mortar schools, you know, building culinary schools, teaching via these large schools. Now, of course, we can look in the, in the you know, the, the mirror and see that in hindsight, there were a lot of schools. There was, a, uh, you know, probably too many schools for what the market could bear. And also, I think the, the effect of those schools in part, the effect of being more professional and having 
kind of higher dollar education and more expectations was that, you know, the industry would change and kind of keep up with those things and pay people more and provide more advancement. A lot of that didn't really follow suit. So what, what we found with what I'm doing now with online with Ruby is we can take a lot of the advantages of people who, you know, raise their hand who say, Hey, I want to learn. I want to be trained. I want to get a certificate or some sort of education, but I can't spend those dollars. I don't want to go into debt. I don't want to, I can't spend the time. I can't relocate my family. There's a long list of reasons why um, it just didn't make sense for certain people. So I feel strongly that with Ruby and with e-learning more generally, people have these opportunities to reduce the barrier to their own advancement, their own learning. And um, it's taken some time. You know, I've been with Ruby for eight years. It's a 15-year-old company that's been in development around this online cooking space. Uh, so we're not, we're not new to this, but it's taken a lot of time to really prove out how these things work. How do you take this idea of learning something that is so based in experience and your senses and the tactile nature and the nuance of cooking. And how do you move that into an online space, which for many people is very um, lonely and very lacking in anything that feels human or has a flavor to it in that same way. So that, that was the work that we had to do was building these programs, building content, building um, really learning management systems and systems that validate and verify and, knowledge and competency um, to, to create that backbone so that people who are in our programs um, have the skill that they could actually walk into a kitchen and say, okay, like I get it. I've braised before. I've blanched before. I've made um, sauces with a liaison. Like they understand those things because even though they're learning quote online, they're still doing it, right? They're still cooking. We still have chefs on my team who evaluate their work and provide feedback and say, Hey, your, your, your holidays broke and you didn't specify anything about it breaking in your notes to us. And well, you should go back and do it again because you didn't fulfill the competency. So um, it's, you know, all by way of saying that for me, it's never just been about the cooking part. It's always been about how do you, um, how do you help others? How do you get people on a path so that they're super passionate about the, the big world of food, all the things that are available to them? You know, this is fascinating to me. And so many questions are flying through my mind right now based on what you just said. But interestingly, obviously, in an e-learning environment, you don't have the immediate feedback of, you know, a chef instructor behind you, tasting your food, looking at the presentation, all of that. So clearly, you can present the graphic side of things through video. And okay, this is the hollandaise I just made, or these are my blanched vegetables, whatever it is. Yeah. But you can't actually grade the flavor profile. Mm-hmm. Which then leads me to my next question, yeah. which is, is this, this is a, it's an art form, okay? You know, you could say it's an art and a science, but it's really an art and mm-hmm. it's really a talent that can be developed. But would you say that anyone can develop a talent for cooking with the right instruction or is it really more than that? It's something that comes deep from in, inside. It's innate. It's you either have it or you don't. And I might be totally interested and passionate about becoming the next great chef, but I might not just, I might not just have something extra besides mm-hmm. going through a class and getting the skill set. Does that make sense? Like how does yeah. that translate for um, most students? 
Yeah, I think it's it's a great question. I think it's actually kind of a deep, a deeply human question about um, you know things that I look at. So the for me, the world of food and the world of cooking really becomes segmented out according to at a very high level, everyone everyone eats, right? So on some level, everyone has a need for cooking in their life. Absolutely. And because of that, I think there's a baseline of competency or awareness or literacy or knowledge or comfort that we should all have as humans with food and cooking. That's one of my, one of my missions in life is that I think that we should normalize the behavior or the activity of cooking so people don't repel in fear with the idea of cooking as a human activity. For me, it's one of the most human activities one could do. Um, so they're on some level, but that's not about being a chef. That's about being able to feed yourself and comfort yourself and work within the economy or the health concerns or the flavors that you like. It's it's about knowing five or seven dishes. It's not at all about how inspired you are <laughs> to, right. to, to manage right. a restaurant. On the side of industry and on the side of like what makes uh, a culinary professional or a cook or a chef really stand out. On that side, I really do agree. It's a lot more than just the technical ability. Like I, I can train a lot of people to do a technical thing um, according to a certain standard or whatever. It doesn't make it aesthetically jump off the plate or appeal to someone the same way as someone who has a a passion, a grace, a touch, you know, exactly. all those things right, where. Right. There's a yes. certain um, embedded aesthetic and a competency that doesn't just come with the technical ability, but comes with um, a certain perspective of expression or something like that, right? So, and that's a much different thing. Um, and just because you can do that doesn't mean you can run a business, right? <laughs> Those are all separate skills as well. So just of because course. you have that flair doesn't mean that naturally so many people are going to show up and eat and you're going to be successful. Like all these things need to be kind of pieced together. What we find with Ruby from a student profile perspective, and this comes after, you know, eight years with Ruby and many tens of thousands of students through our virtual classroom doorways, but also having taught and managed and run lots of other professional chef schools is what I've seen personally with Ruby is that the students who come to us from that professional training side are incredibly motivated. They're there with us because um, they couldn't otherwise go to school and be successful. And they've read the blogs and read the books and done the research. And they know that their own success is actually going to come from within themselves. Right. And right. if we provide a really solid foundational program mm -hmm. and it depends on them practicing, right? Well, Doing of course. Yes. Practicing your times, vocation. Absolutely. All of these things that, that, that that's, what's going to make them successful. It's not the certificate or the fact that we built these comprehensive, huge online immersive programs. It's that they need to internalize excellence and process and everything else for themselves anyway. And really so, self-motivation plays a huge part in this. And 100%. You know, the passion is important. The self-motivation piece is important. But once they have a certification, what types of positions does that qualify them for? And then they're going to get that hands-on experience within a kitchen, whether that be a hotel, a restaurant, you know, uh, some other sort of situation, colleges, whatever it is. I mean, they get that experience online. But, you know, we're, what types of positions are they qualified for? 
depending on what level of training they get with Ruby? I mean, tell us yeah, about we, that. So we see students of all types. We see students who are, um, you know, industry professionals who need a certification, didn't go to school, so never got the letters behind their name. Um, and they can work with us, you know, in one of our longer format online courses for, say, six months. And if they otherwise have the work experience and can pass the ACF tests, they can come in at a certified culinarian or certified uh, foundations cook um, with world chefs, a, a Comey chef or a chef de partie uh, level. So these are you know, lower level uh, certifications. But if you're, if you're a sous chef and you're even certified through ACF, let's say, as, as a sous chef, and you want to re-up on your certification, you know, you can also take our courses because we have hundreds of hours of coursework available. So we see it for people who need to advance. We see it for people who are stepping in. We have a lot of programs that we run with employers where the employer says, hey, we have you know, 20 people on our crew. Um, I'm going to make this available to everyone, knowing that maybe there's a few targeted people that could really benefit from this. I see. And in that context, they're not even necessarily going after it from a certification or a completion point of view. They're going after that because of very specific job competencies that they have to fill, right? They're like, oh, we need um, these four people to be brought up to speed on eggs and salads, and this person needs to be brought up to speed on a hotline, so we need to work on saute and sear, and this per like, and literally they'll, they'll kind of cherry pick and they'll decide which um, learning areas or which modules of our larger programs they want people to, to jump into. So there's no requirement that when you jump into one of our programs that you become certified, but many of them do culminate in that. Um, and look, what, what job you get is largely a reflection of um, lots of other personality and character traits. You have experience, do you not have experience? Um, how well can you articulate what you know, what you don't know, right? Do you have the vocabulary? Do you have the narrative abilities? Um, you know, what is it that you're going to do in that job? With COVID, a lot of the job functions and requirements for the job in terms of competencies are just a little bit different. Um, so, you know, the ability to uh, be flexible and versatile um, is really, really important. Um, but, you know, I think that the, the larger... Framework that we're working with students on is that we absolutely want to prepare them for a job, but because we're not um, causing this big financial distress on them, it's not the same pressure because you don't have that that student loan bill every month, right? You're not um, bound by the same level of having to now pay something back, right? Well, the times are certainly highly relevant for Ruby, especially since, you know, so many colleges and learning institutions, the bricks and mortar that you talked about right now are literally closed and doing the remote thing anyway. So interestingly, um, I want to ask you a couple of different questions, but let's talk about the comparable quality of the education. You know, you've already told us that you put so much into this training platform and you've covered all the bases. So I want to come back to besides mm -hmm. just culinary skills, if you're teaching, you know, the other business skills that are clearly important because lots of people want to start their own restaurant someday and not just work mm -hmm. for someone else. But let's talk right. about, you know, there's several prestigious cooking schools in America. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's heard of CIA and Johnson and Wales is close to us here in New England. There's lots mm -hmm. of, you know, schools that have been around forever. Some have really illustrious reputations 
And I guess I'm curious from your perspective, being, you know, an expert educator, not just a chef, if you feel that, you know, that that level of education sets people apart, or does it really give them that much more of an advantage? Or can someone still rise to the upper echelons of this business without a top-notch education like CIA or something, simply by applying themselves and their passion and to, to the Ruby platform? I mean, what, they can go anywhere, can they not? I mean... Yeah, I think the answer is all of the above. I think yeah. that, I think that um, uh, I look at my career and I look at all the amazing people that I've had an opportunity to work with who were CIA trained or even faculty at CIA or Johnson & Wales or the Cordon Bleu or the Art Institutes or some of the amazing community colleges or technical colleges that we have in this country. And, uh, you know, the talent's astounding. But I think there's no clear line or there's no magic bullet that says if you do these three things and you're going to become this in the in the food world so i've worked with chefs who i loved working with who were amazing mentors and had amazing knowledge to transfer who didn't do any of that stuff they just worked their way up they just had some great jobs and some great teachers they never spent a day in school in their life learning to cook it was just all the kitchens they were eyes and ears open I've worked with people who worked for a long time in the industry and then went back to school and the formal training helped them with leadership and management and um, finance and all those other business things that helped them become a successful leader. Um, So I don't think there's a clear line. I have incredible admiration for uh, the culinary schools that are still able to operate um, it's a very tough business. It's a tough market to be in. Yes, it's it is. expensive uh, to run. The cost is high for students, as I indicated before. Sometimes, you know, I would say disproportionate to what the industry might um, afford them of. Um, and it's it's not. There's no guarantee. It's not like if you went to medical school or law school or some other thing where you're like, okay, great. There's going to be some semblance of, uh, you know, salary or compensation that's going to make up for this huge time commitment and huge financial commitment. Um, so I, I encourage people, I say, look, you know, figure out your own circumstances. If going to CIA or Johnson & Wales or a top flight, uh, you know, even community college is what you want to do, that's an amazing experience. That's an amazing value for you that has community and networking and do it like if that's the thing that you want if you're really drawn towards and want to do um if you want to just go work in the industry go go do that too where i'd like to situate ruby is almost someplace in between to say hey you know if you want to get a really amazing education that's been tested by tens of thousands of working cooks all around the world we we operate programs in multiple languages for some of the top employers we even work now with community colleges and, and culinary schools um, you can, you can do something that's not diving in and getting a 50 or a hundred thousand dollar education. Yeah. And it's also not just rolling the dice and saying, you know, do I get a good mentor? I hope so. If not, this is going to suck for the next few months. Um, so we can be supportive of that. When I look at my faculty members and I look at our instructional team and just the larger Ruby leadership team, you know, it's made up of people who formerly held high level leadership positions at. French Culinary Institute, at the CIA, at, uh, you know, the Art Institutes, at Le Cordon Bleu, at at some of the best schools in the country. Um, And we take that with a lot of pride, but we also really focus Ruby on the future and what's happening 
with the future and what the needs of students are. People don't need to go into debt to get quality culinary instruction, period. Um, now, whether they say, great, I want to do something online or do something on ground or do something on the job, um, you know, that, that's a decision. We, we try to come in and serve all those different populations and all those different needs. So myself personally, you know, I've been in the restaurant business for over two decades myself with multiple concepts and restaurants and all that sort of thing. And I've had lots of chefs and line cooks come and go over the years. I've had some that lasted a long time, some that didn't, some that were formally trained with prestigious education, some who apprenticed with other, you know, top chefs, some who were self-taught that started out as dishwashers and worked their way up. And this business is just so richly diverse in that way. And we've already talked about how, you know, you don't really need that tremendous background to go anywhere. It's really what's inside of you. But I've always believed that it's tremendously important to have a well-rounded knowledge set and not just yeah. go into a kitchen because you can cook. I think it's tremendously important to be able to lead a team and to have, you know, really solid skills in ordering and cost controls and, you know, costing out menus and all these things. And some chefs do and some chefs don't. And I'm, I'm just curious, if you do want to run a business someday, does Ruby prepare you as a candidate to be able to do that? Are you learning all of those skills as part of this, uh, you know, curriculum? Yeah, I think the short answer is, is no. We're not really focused on the business side or the leadership side. We have some modules. We have uh, lots of instruction around purchasing and how to select product and ingredients and some things around culinary math and leadership and management and supervision and those topics. But when I compare or look at the, uh, the vastness and the richness of all the offerings we have in culinary, and now very soon launching a, a large pastry program, you know, the, the business and the entrepreneurship side just doesn't, doesn't compare. So the quick answer, just the honest answer is no, we're not really positioning ourselves currently to tell people who are coming in purely from a business perspective that the Ruby courses are going to provide that, that expertise. It's more of a background, a connecting the dots, um, but our focus really has been primarily on those foundational cooking skills, line level skills, um, the fundamentals that you learn in the first year or two of, of a culinary school, let's say. All right, let's talk about, I'm an interested candidate. Someone in the audience listening, I'm sure, is mm -hmm. thinking, wow, this is the exact thing I'm looking for. This is right for me. Mm -hmm. Walk us through, I'm now um, enrolled in Ruby. Sure. How long does the program take? What is a typical week like? Is it mm -hmm. a flexible schedule? Is it structured or regimented in any way? Is it at your own pace? Like, how does that whole thing work? Yeah, how does, it, how, does, yeah how does online learning work with Ruby? So we have a variety of different programs. They're very flexible. We have some programs that we work with partners or employers that have more structure because the employer puts, um, you know, their own uh, expectations or you know, guideposts around it. But primarily, if you're just a person who wants to come to Ruby to learn, we have a few different professional tracks that you can engage with. One is a uh, professional cook certification program. These are all, all these programs I'm referencing for individuals are right at that $1,000, just over $1,000 um, type price point. It's a six-month in, uh, intensive program where people report back that they're spending on average about 10 hours a week during those six months 
um, online learning with us. So it's asynchronous during that six months, meaning you can log on two o'clock in the morning, you know, spend a few hours <laughs> watching videos. Right. You can then three days later come back and do some cooking activities and then go on vacation for 10 days and then come back to it and work every day for a week if that's what you want to do. So there's no um, requirements within that framework of, oh, on Monday you have to log in at 10 and do this thing that night. Um, but there is a sequence and a cadence and an expectation with the way we design the course that you have this kind of six-month intensive period where you're going to do all of your interactive work, all your engagement work, all the things that require a chef instructor to provide feedback, let's say. So from an actual learner perspective, you're going to log in, you're going to get to a dashboard page, you're going to then um, click on that page into essentially what looks like a syllabus view. So it's task by task. Uh, one of our professional courses, like the Pro Cook certification course, might be over 400 learning tasks that you're going to do over those, those six months. We also have a plant-based professional course, which is very much comparable to the pro cook. It's been incredibly popular. The, um, <laughs> the explosion of plant-based, the explosion oh, of yes. health, the yes. explosion of, um, people just being aware that they have special dietary needs or special dietary wants. Um, so we about five years ago launched the first ever online professional plant-based certification for chefs. Um, it's been incredibly popular. So we, um, also have that program that runs into very much the same type of program where it starts with foundations, how to hold a knife, how to heat a pan, moist and dry heat cooking, developing flavor, ingredient selection, these sorts of things. But, you know, when students are in our programs, they can expect to spend um, two or three days a week uh, doing cooking activities, either practice activities or activities where they're quite literally um, – going through some exercise, which could be a sensory exercise, a technique exercise, uh, an activity based on a recipe or recipe set, um, and providing uh, evidence to, to my team, to our team, on their ability to perform a certain competency. So just as an example, we get into this whole thing because you're right, you can't, I can't physically taste the food to say, oh yeah, like your acid was off or your sugar was off or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but there's a ton we can tell based on the way they write and the images that we see. So uh, one activity that we do that we actually really enjoy is um, an activity about flavor development and also has some uh, temperature control and some other kind of associated learning. But it's about sweating garlic and the difference between sweating garlic properly, low and slow, where it takes on a sweetness and a, a mild uh, cooked character, but very pale color versus um, garlic that's aggressively uh, toasted and then eventually uh, becomes bitter and dark. So we actually have students go through the activity where they like do it the proper way with sweating and then we have them do it wrong with too much heat and too much time. And then they make a solution out of that garlic with some water and they're going to drink it. They're going to take a photo of the light one next to the dark one. They're going to drink it yeah. and they're going to give us a sensory evaluation of what the end result of the execution of a technique that depended on temperature control and this ingredient, the outcome of that. 
So again, we're dealing on some higher order thinking here. We're not just saying um, cook garlic over low heat for one minute, cook garlic over high heat, tell us what you think. Like we're getting into a pretty elaborate um, psychology here where we're getting people to understand that that mm-hmm. visceral bitter, bitter response that you can't get out of your mouth easily is the result of the misapplication of heat and temperature control during this technique. And here's why that technique is special. Um, or we do something in a similar way when we teach uh, submersion cooking, where we actually have students go through with broccoli and um, cook broccoli at three different uh, levels of doneness based on duration, and then literally you know, bisect that broccoli piece so we can see the inside of the broccoli mm-hmm. to various degrees of doneness, and then they're giving us a sensory evaluation on each. But we can also visually see the color of each and the delta cooking essentially, you know, the inside out or the outside in. So when we get that kind of a reflection and that level of detail from students, we're getting a lot more from them learning wise than I ever would have gotten from a student walking up to my, you know, grading desk as a chef instructor on broccoli on submersion day and say, Hey chef, here's my broccoli and like walking away right? This is like showing deep thought about the subject, practice thought about the subject. And they're going to get a personal response back from one of my chefs saying, yeah, like you nailed it. You um, not just now understand how to articulate some of the differences between time and temperature and the doneness of the broccoli, but you also for yourself has ma- have made a personal judgment, a discernment about, well, Maybe you do like broccoli that's more cooked. Maybe you've been eating broccoli <laughs> to undercook this whole time for your own personal taste. Now, that can all be discussed whether you do that or not for a guest, but for the person to have the aha moment going, holy crap, I've been undercooking my broccoli because I thought it was the cool thing to do, and I actually like it softer, tastes better to me, or whatever, it's a huge moment for them. They're like, wow, I've never actually tasted it side by side three different mm-hmm. ways. That's an excellent response. In fact, that really takes it as close as you can get. And it may even take things above and beyond a personal experience as if you were in a brick and mortar cooking school. I think you've taken things to another level by by forcing the e-learning situation to be as productive and as, you know, skill developing and giving them all the nuances and the flavor profiles and understanding what the end result should be and asking them does it meet the standard? I think that's wonderful. Yeah. So we're, we're asking them to, to turn yeah. their brain on and not just <laughs> be a robot and yeah. say, well, yeah. the recipe said to cook it for four minutes. So I'm going to cook it for four minutes. Like, yeah. come mm-hmm. on, that's not the way it works. If the broccoli floret yes. was a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller, yeah. or the water temperature was 15 degrees difference, it's going to change the way that cooks. So okay. let's think about this. This is a very real experience we're having. There's a lot of variables. It's not even so much for us about the outcome being perfect. It's about the student's ability to articulate what the heck happened, what went right, what went wrong, what they would do differently. Um, Can they identify that something went wrong? Like that in itself is huge for us. Um, So we, we literally have a team here of chef instructors, many at the master's degree, or even doctoral degree plus, and that's their job. Their job is to develop 
um, instructional materials and programming that kind of gets under the skin of a student so they understand that this is not just about showing us a square knife cut or a piece of browned meat or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's about them being able to articulate, well, it's because I had my pan at this temperature and because I didn't crowd the pan and because I made sure that the product was dry beforehand. Like they can really go through and nail all the learning outcomes. That's what we want. They're, they can now teach someone how to do it versus just, again, be a robot and follow it and, and say that they did it. You know, it seems like it's becoming more and more dangerous all the time being in this business with, you know, food allergies and celiac disease and people having really dangerous reactions to things that are purely accidental in the kitchen. Unless you've mm. got a completely dedicated gluten-free facility, things do get cross-contaminated. The whole food safety issue is so stringent today. Is there a part of the curriculum that teaches the basics of food safety and then they then get a serve safe certification and, and, and learn as much as they can there? Yeah, so great question. Yeah, food safety has become incredibly much more top of mind for people with yeah. COVID, of course. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we did relaunch or redevelop a COVID-specific food safety course um, that we offered for free, still offer for free for the industry. Um, I would say that, you know, when it comes to uh, safety, there's a few different camps. There's sort of the camp around, um, you know, pathogens and keeping food safe from that time and temperature perspective. There's also the whole side of kind of uh, allergens and special diets and also people just not wanting to have cross contact with food. Like they just want to know the kitchen was free of, you know, meats or free of dairy or free of things. They just, they just didn't want to have the, the possibility. <laughs> so we teach a lot around um, ingredient control, certainly in our plant-based programs so much of that is about how do you keep the integrity of a plant-based kitchen? How do you work within the confounds of um, that space? Because a lot of people come to that because it's an allergy. They have a dairy mm -hmm. allergy or an egg allergy. Um, and a lot of them are also just more food sensitive or food aware generally. So they say, yeah, I want to I try what it would be like to be gluten-free for a month and see if I feel better. Or I want to try to do less salt or reduce my um, intake of certain types of you know, other foods. So I think that, you know, there's that perspective too. It's not just a straight safety, but it's like, how do I um, otherwise show some, you know, exert some control over my food environment so I feel comfortable, so I feel safe, not just the uh, kind of the, the true food safety. Um, you know, the, the kind of ironic side about the whole uh, elevation of people's awareness about food safety and food handling and, um, everything else, especially with restaurants being completely devastated right now, frankly, Absolutely. Um, is that the, the core, the core foundations of the safety hasn't changed. I mean, I look at um, the rules around uh, COVID and a lot of it really has to do more with employee safety um, around transmission Absolutely versus true. the pathogen itself because mm -hmm. <clears throat> the pathogen itself dies when you apply all the same <laughs> wear washing and all the same sanitation standards and washing your hands and hygiene standards like that didn't change it became more stringent more eyeballs on it um 
more supported, more understood, but it's not like those rules change. We, we all know that certain temperatures, certain solutions are going to kill that. I also understand that you have a multilingual e-learning platform <coughs> and multiple languages here. Does that mean that you have uh, chefs on board as well that, <laughs> that are multilingual? How does that all work? I mean, I think I counted six, seven different languages that uh, these yeah. programs are available in. So we have some consumer programs that we've run with some of our partners in as many as 16 languages, 16. mostly for home cooks. Yeah. But our Amazing. professional programming resides um, with our enterprise um, employer programs. Mm -hmm. We have that, um, not all of our programs, but our two largest core programs, we have operational in five different languages. So because our partners... Um, you know, global hospitality partners like Marriott or Four Seasons or Hyatt, because they have operations globally, uh, the Middle East, Asia Pacific, Latin America, uh, we built those core products um, from a content and from a software delivery side to be, um, you know, suitable for all those languages. So that was a big, a big lift for us as a company to figure out, number one, these are enormous learning programs on their own. They're 100 plus hours. Yes. Video, text, assessments, certifications, Q&A, discussion boards, all these things. So then how do we take that and operationalize it in five languages? It was a, was a, big, was a big job. Um, so yeah, essentially we have built the infrastructure to provide um, the assessments, the chef support, and then also the customer service support. Um, which at some point becomes pretty predictable. Like we know the top, if there's a hundred questions, you know how they break down roughly once you start getting enough volume. So we know what questions we're going to get primarily. There's not a lot of curveball questions. So we can preemptively create support pages and troubleshooting pages or even things like reporting bad translations when the translation doesn't make sense to the end user. So we can automate yeah. a lot of those things and make it a little bit easier. Wow. Versatility as well as productivity. That's tremendous. It, yeah, and we with the multiple language option, it was important for us on a user experience perspective that we were recognizing that a lot of people really identify as being bilingual, bicultural. So it's not like I want to buy, quote, hey, I need to buy this many Spanish language versions for my team and this many English language versions for our team. And then all of a sudden you're haggling over, well, we had six Spanish and nine English and who, you know, who goes where. Um, all of our programs are designed to be completely toggled between those languages. So the user just gets the program and then she or he decides at that moment when they're learning if they want to see it in Spanish or see it in French or see it in Mandarin. Let's shift gears for a moment, Ken. I understand that you're also the chair of the James Beard Foundation Broadcast Media Awards Committee. So James Beard, <laughs> that whole program needs no introduction. But tell us all about what your work is with that and how it all works and, you know, what's going on with that. Yeah, so it's a different part of my, my reality with food. I've been kind of a, a serial volunteer um, with various foundations in the food space. So I just kind of can't help myself from giving yeah. my time and giving That's back. Wonderful. I love, I love mentoring. So um, I was involved many years ago with the uh, international association of culinary professionals, the IACP. 
and was on their board of directors and involved with programming conferences and then had an opportunity to be the chair and a trustee for the foundation called the Culinary Trust, which was started by Julia Child. And really between IACP and the Culinary Trust, I just, I felt a strong connection to doing foundation work. So it was through those networks and through those channels that I just kind of raised my hand with the Beard Foundation. This is almost nine years ago now um, and said, hey, how, you know, how can I participate? Are there any roles for me to come in as a volunteer and support some of your programming? And, um, you know, wound up landing with the media, the broadcast media awards group. And that's one of the major buckets of awards that the that the Beard Foundation offers. So the committee that I currently oversee as the chairperson, um, again, after many years of service, um, uh, oversees the categories for uh, really all food media, anything that's not broadcast or anything, excuse me, that's not journalism, mm-hmm. uh, but broadcast media. So uh, radio, television, film, podcasts documentaries, um, web series, all these sorts of things would fall under the purview of our, of our committee. So we, um, as a committee, our role is, is fairly simple. We, we set kind of the policy and the criteria for all the awards that are being given within that, that structure. So 11 awards that we offer, um, you know, like I said, podcast, radio, TV, film, and so mm-hmm. on. Um, and we also uh, work to support the larger initiatives of the foundation around uh, diversity and inclusion and some of the critical issues on the impact side of the programming that they do, such as sustainability and climate change and women's leadership and food waste and some other issues. Um, so, yeah, as a committee, it's, 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 it's amazing. We get to work with um, just incredible talent. We, as a committee, also manage and select all the judges for all those awards. So we have a fairly large pool of judges that we manage um, across those 11 categories. Um, but it just, it's a wonderful organization. I love giving back. I love the um, camaraderie I have with my colleagues, um, the amount of learning and education that I get to have by being a part of the group is maybe a little bit um, selfish at times. I feel like I can just join a meeting and listen to people and just learn a, a ton. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I love the, um, the giving back part. Really, really important to me. That's tremendous. I mean, this industry is based on giving back as well. It's a passionate industry. You know, during COVID, there's been so many examples of restaurateurs that are challenged themselves, reaching out to help their fellow restaurateur, help the industry, help the employees. I mean, I've seen just numerous examples of that. So I totally understand, you know, that side of things. So you're to be commended for the work that you do there as well. That was a tremendous time talking to you, Ken. I really enjoyed getting to know you you, uh, personally and your background and talking all about Ruby. So audience, if you're interested, you can go to www, and I'm going to spell it for you, www.ruxbe.com. That's (laughs) www.ruby.com. And once again, um, Ruby is recognized by the American Culinary Federation Education Foundation and World Chefs, and it's a wonderful education, and I'm really happy that I learned so much more about it today. Thank you so much for joining us, Ken. Thank you much.
been a real honor. Thank you. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will see you in the next episode. Well, guys, that's a wrap on episode 224. Hard to believe we've been at this now for five years. But I really appreciate that you're enjoying our guests and you're enjoying our topics. We've been getting a lot of great feedback from our audience lately. So if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes. And we look forward to bringing you further great content. We record every single week and uh, lots of upcoming episodes that are really exciting. So don't miss them. Thanks for leaving us a review. And if you're having any particular challenges right now during COVID and who isn't, why not reach out to me? My email, roger, R-O-G-E-R at restaurantrockstars.com. I'm happy to talk to you, talk shop, 20, 30 minutes or so. No obligation, of course. Maybe we can work together. Maybe I can help you. So don't forget. And we will see you next time. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.